Hi, Chris Valentin here. Welcome to my podcast, where I hope to inspire you to walk in your royal identity in Christ and experience God's goodness in every area of your life. I hope you enjoy this message today. And if you're looking for more resources, check out chrisvalentin.com. Well, let's pray real quick. Holy Spirit, we thank you for what you're doing all over the world uh, in this season. We pray, God, for a great Holy Spirit awakening. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I, about three weeks ago, I started this series called Finding Your Superpower, and I'd like to do a part two. How many of you are in, there, in the room when, we, when I preached that? And where were the rest of you? <laughs> and you, you guys online, you, you're, 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 you got, you're covered. But. So I just want to say I forgive you <laughs> for not coming. But good thing Jesus didn't come back, you know. You'd be reading those books left behind. Okay. <laughs> John chapter 20. Why don't you turn there? I'm going to do a little review for the folks who weren't able to be here. Uh, John chapter 20, verse 19. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. I guess you have to say something when you walk through a wall. After Jesus rose from the dead, he never used a door because he is the door. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side, and the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them, again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. I just wanted to just start off with this verse. And so Jesus is rose, just rose from the dead, walks through the wall, says peace to the disciples, and then he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And what's interesting to me is that the very first mandate for them after they've received authority from the Holy Spirit was to whoever sins you forgive, I have forgiven also. It's interesting to me that one of the reasons why the Pharisees uh, hated Jesus and, and, and dishonored Jesus is because Jesus kept saying that he could forgive sins, and they said only God can forgive sins. And isn't it exciting that the very first ministry the disciples have, and that we have when we receive the Holy Spirit, when the authority of the Holy Spirit comes into our life, is that we have power, we have authority to, re- to forgive people who don't deserve it. Can you think of, if you were the you know, accounts receivable person at General Motors or Apple Computer or some large corporation and they received some big infusion of cash and they said to you as the director of the accounts receivable, people who owe the company money, and they said to you, you can just forgive whoever you want. It doesn't matter if they deserve it or not, you can just forgive them. This is your, this is your mandate and your mission. The first thing the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives is saying to us, Forgive whoever you want. Jesus died on the cross and you have authority to forgive whoever you want. And if you forgive them, I will forgive them. Isn't it? You don't have to pray about forgiving them. You can just forgive them. Jesus said, whoever you forgive, I forgive. And so we see that the Holy Spirit came on them or came in them when he breathed on them and he gave them the power to forgive sins. Look at Acts chapter one, verse four. Isn't this interesting? Gathering them together... Who are the them? The same people, twelve, the 12 that were in the room when Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Those same 12 are now in the room again. And Jesus, he said, gathering them together, he commanded them to not leave Jerusalem, but wait for what the Father had promised, 
which he said, you've heard from me. For John baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with or in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. When he'd come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the remote part of the earth. Isn't this, isn't this, isn't this interesting that Jesus tells the same guys who he breathed on and said, receive the Holy Spirit, he tells them, don't leave your city until you're clothed with power. And what I'm getting at is, is this, is that it's one thing to mm, drink water, be filled with water. It's another thing to swim in the ocean. How many of you know, when I, re- when I received Christ, I became a new creation, the Holy Spirit comes in me. There is no such thing as a Christian without the Holy Spirit within them. But how many understand that there is a second touch from God? And that second touch from God is when the Holy Spirit is on me. How many know the Holy Spirit's in me for my benefit, but he's on me for your benefit? And what I'm getting at is that the Lord told them, don't leave your city until you are clothed with power, until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. What would happen if the Lord showed up in your room and said, don't leave Reading until you're filled with power? And what I'm getting at, are you guys okay? You're so quiet. I got to this point in, in, in Twinview, and I said, the gospel can't be separated from power. When I said that, all the lights went out. The mic went dead, and it stayed dead for like five minutes. So I just jumped down off the stage and preached without no lights and mic, and everyone cheered. And I was like, you have mics and light and less power. <laughs> so I want to inspire you to compete with your brothers. Okay, sorry, that was a joke, of course. What would happen if the Lord said to you, don't leave Reading until you receive power? In, in, um, in, in Isaiah chapter 60, it says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the afflicted, to bind up the brokenhearted in that chapter. But the point is, is that the Holy Spirit is in me for my sake, but he's on me for their sake. And I believe that the Lord doesn't want anyone to leave, can I say, leave for ministry without the power of the Holy Spirit. And I don't think you can separate the power of the word of God from the power of the gospel of God. I think the the gospel is power. And the word power there, that you'll receive power, it's the word deutimus, and we get our word, we get our word dynamite, or miraculous from it. Look at, uh, how, so the question becomes, how do I receive my superpower? Look at, um, in, in the book of Acts, of course, they were up in the upper room for 10 days with 120 people praying when the Holy Spirit fell. In Acts chapter two, we see them speaking in tongues and prophesying, and we see the people that had gathered from all over the world to come to Judea to, to honor the, the, the feast there that came from different countries and spoke different languages, we see that suddenly that believers suddenly could speak in languages that they never learned because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And so they were in the upper room. By the way, I think Heidi Baker speaks seven languages. Two of them she learned. Five of them were given to her supernaturally. I, 
I, I have two languages. I have tongues, which I learned when I was a child, and then my, my parents taught me English later. <laughs> How do we receive power? Well, they went into the upper room and they waited for 10 days. And oftentimes there's an experience like that where somebody will have an encounter with God, they will receive the power of God, and then when they do, how many of you know, when you, whatever you receive in the spirit, you can, you, you can give away. You can, you can airdrop it to other people in the spirit. But um, most commonly in the book of Acts, people who had this experience with the Holy Spirit were able to lay hands on other people who didn't have the experience and suddenly they experienced the power, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Paul meets these guys in Acts chapter 19. I'm not going to take too much time with this, but in Acts chapter 19, Paul meets these guys and he said to them, these, these new believers, and he said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, we didn't know there was a Holy Spirit. And he said, what baptism were you baptized into? And they said, into John's. And Paul lays his hands on them. And here's the, here's the account. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. I, I, I love this, you know, in, in a 21st century culture, we have such a, um, we, we have this idea that if you don't know it, if you haven't read it, you can't experience it. And here, the, you know, Paul says to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you were baptized? And they don't, they're not arguing about the Trinity. They didn't know there was a Holy Spirit. And what I'm getting at is God's touching people that we, don't, we, never, that we counted out a long time ago. We're like, God can't touch them because they have this label. God can't touch them. And God's touching people who don't have the theology, but they have the right experience. And so Paul, Paul releases the Holy Spirit over them. Romans chapter 1, verse 11. Paul said, I long to come to you. He writes to the Romans. I long to come to you that I might impart a spiritual gift to you that you may be established. And what I'm getting at is that when you've received the baptism in the Holy Spirit or when you receive something in the Spirit, you can literally airdrop it to other people. You can literally, what you freely receive, you can freely give. You know, when you airdrop something, have you ever airdropped something to somebody? Yesterday, Kathy, I asked Kathy for a, uh, a certain contact, and she airdropped it to me when I was in the bathtub, <laughs> praying and being very spiritual, and I declined it. <laughs> I thought someone was playing a trick on me, and she's like, why did you just decline that? I'm like, oh, sorry, send it to me again. I, I think oftentimes when we're airdropping stuff in meetings like this, we get de so many declines. Oh, I don't know, I, don't know, I already have it. Um, again, been, uh, uh, no, no. And I'm like, we just need to be people who put accept, accept, accept. I accept what the Holy Spirit is releasing on us. Um, <laughs> I know, this is much better than your response today. <laughs> in 1 Timothy 4, Paul writes this. Verse 14, do not neglect, he's writing to Timothy, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you which was bestowed upon you through prophetic utterances and the laying on the hands of the presbytery. Take pains with these things, be absorbed in them, so that your progress may be evident to all. This is Paul talking to Timothy, his spiritual son, saying, Timothy, when the presbytery laid their hands on you, they released a spiritual gift to you. I want you to labor, and I want you to give yourself to these gifts until your progress can be seen by everyone. You know, I often think of discipleship um, as Paul Manwaring, I think this famous quote, he said, 
in 21st century discipleship, accountability is about account for your disability instead of your account for your ability. Because discipleship is supposed to be accountability, not making sure you don't smoke, but making sure you're on fire. And what I'm getting at is that so much of discipleship is based on character, which I think character is really important. It's, let me just say that. Like, if you don't have great character, you're not impressed with your power. But if you don't have power, I'm not, aggress- I'm not impressed with your great character. I-, I think that the gospel is supposed to be character and power flowing together. But what I'm getting at is that, is that in the first century church, when people were born again, that, that their discipleship was re- and, and their accountability was based around the fact that believers, that leaders believed that the people who had received Christ had a new nature. And so the emphasis wasn't so much on making sure you don't do something wrong. Okay, we're gonna gather, we're gonna teach you how to not do something wrong. But actually, Jesus's uh, discipleship and the, and the apostles' discipleship was about releasing people into their God-given gifts and God-given destiny. Are you with me? And, and I feel like there needs to be a shift because I feel like the Lord wants to rise up with power in this hour Wow, that didn't mean that on purpose. I believe that the Lord wants to rise up in power. I think he wants to bring the power back to the gospel. And his emphasis right now, not that we would de-emphasize character, but that we would emphasize power because in this season, we need to rise in darkness and see the gospel of power being released to people. So, and I think the Lord is really, uh, this is probably an over emphasis, like don't leave your city until you're endowed with power because, this, because the gospel is not a better philosophy. <laughs> Okay, well, we'll talk more about that in a minute. I know. So they receive. So Timothy, take the gifts that were implanted in you and with them fight the good fight. In 1 Thessalonians, the gospel must be demonstrated with power. In 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul writes, our gospel did not come to you with word alone, but also in power and with the Holy Spirit. In Mark chapter 16, Jesus says something that I think is very inspiring and very convicting. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. First of all, I want to point out that the gospel isn't just for humans. It's for all creation. And then he said, and he who's believed and been baptized shall be saved. But he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they'll cast out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll pick up serpents. They drink any deadly poison and not hurt them. They'll lay hands on the sick and they will recover. But I like this part because the previous verse says, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Next verse. Here's the signs that will follow those who believe. I used to go to a particular ministry. I still go there once in a while, but I used to go there often. And, I, uh, and my, my, they gave me a week every year. Sometimes I'd go for three or four sessions, but I would, my, my job was, I was, they call it the power week. And my job was to make sure that these disciples walked in power. And I would open every session, my first session with them every week, the weekly session. And I would read these verses to them. And I'd say to them, is there enough evidence in the courts of heaven to convict you on earth of actually being a believer? Because it says, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. These are the signs that follow those who believe. And they shall convince people who are wrong. They shall have a philosophy that's perfect. No, 
These signs shall follow those who believe. They shall speak with new tongues. They will heal the sick. They cast out demons. And I said to them, are you really a believer according to the definition of Jesus? Do you move in power or do you just have a great philosophy? The goal of the Bible isn't that you know the Bible. It's that you know the author. <laughs> I wrote this at 4.30 this morning, so I don't know if it's good or not. In the midst of this pandemic, we must not cower to the fear of death, nor should we retreat as victims with vague velocity. No, rather, it's incumbent upon us as revivalists to run to the fray with vigilance, Holy Spirit power, and radical love so that we can extinguish the fires of demonic destruction and heal the hearts of nations. We must rise above the political and religious spirit, put down our rocks of offense, and get back to our mandate to preach the gospel, heal the sick, cast out demons, and make disciples of nations. There is an uprising, an epic battle for the most fatherless generation in history, yet this war is not being fought on the soil of earthly battlefields with some foreign foe, but rather on sacred soil, on the sacred soil of the hearts of men. There is an evil and vile spirit that is trying to bulldoze the church into the trenches of insignificance, proclaiming her to be a powerless pundit of irrelevant philosophies. Yet our gospel is not about words, but power. The power to heal, the power to deliver, the power to save. Furthermore, our enemy is not dressed in flesh, nor does his heart pump with the blood of humanity, but he is a devious demonic devil bent on the annihilation of humankind. It is our mission to destroy his works and heal our land. Discipleship is interesting. Jesus took in uh, Luke chapter nine, he gathers his disciples together. We're going to read it in just a minute. But I, I, when I think of discipleship, as I said a few minutes ago, I think of a structure and a strategy on how to teach people kingdom principles and how to make sure they walk in great character. By the way, I've already said that, but I think it's important, and I think that's important. But it's interesting to me that Jesus has three guys, I mean, three, three years with nine guys, or 12 guys, actually 70 later, but 12 that we, we know about a lot, that we hear about a lot. And one of the very first things he does is he sends them out to heal the sick. And I, I want to read this to you. In Luke chapter 9, verse 1, And Jesus called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over demons to heal all diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. And he told them, Take nothing for your journey, neither a staff or a bag or bread or, nor money, nor even have two tunics, two tunics apiece. Tunics. That's the Hebrew. Uh, the Greek is tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave the city. And as for those who do not receive you, as you go out from that city, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Departing, they began going through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. And you probably know this story, but Jesus sends them out by twos. And he says, listen, you guys go out to the cities. You just heard the instruction. I want you to heal the sick. I want you to, I want you to deliver people from demons. And then we'll meet in this other city and we'll debrief. And so they meet there. And when Jesus meets them, they were so excited. They said, man, we healed the sick. We, we cast out demons. And Jesus said, I saw Satan falling like lightning. And what I'm getting at is this, is that Jesus' discipleship wasn't just based on character. Like these disciples were brand new 
you can't even say Christians because they weren't born again, right? They couldn't be born again until Jesus rose from the dead. We saw that in John 20. But these, these disciples did not, did, they, were, they were not mature believers. And yet the, one of the very first things Jesus does, in maybe, I don't know, maybe this is a year into their following Christ, is he sends them out alone to actually do miracles. And what I'm getting at is that, is that in 21st century, we spend a lot of time making sure people are worthy of power, and yet Jesus sends people out who are, you know, they're, if you will, they're, they're, they're barely believers. And they go out and make all kinds of messes. Jesus brings them back, changes, you know, directs them, corrects them, gives them some more instruction, sends them out again. And what I'm getting at is that from the very, in the first century, disciples were people who actually did signs and wonders, not just people who understood how to read the Bible. There weren't people, they weren't people who just knew how to treat their children, although that's important. They weren't people who just knew how to treat their wives, although that's important. There weren't people who knew how to just navigate society in a, in a, in a noble way, of course that's important, but Jesus immediately sends them out with power, and for three years, these guys who are arguing, who are still trying to work out their character, are moving in signs and wonders and miracles, and Jesus isn't like, well, when you get it all together, when you represent the kingdom well, when you guys stop arguing, when you get over your arrogance, when you stop being a narcissist, I'll send you out. No, he's sending them out in power because you can't separate the gospel from power. I mean, did Jesus send out his disciples to debate with the religious leaders, argue over the, with the political leaders, and try to convince the unruly of their unrighteousness? No, he sent them out to heal the sick, raise the dead, and cast out demons. And what I'm getting at is, I, again, I, I, I don't like when people have power and, 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 and not great character, of course. But we have so emphasized people having character, we actually think you have to have great character to move in power. And I'm like, these things seem to be both important to Jesus. That if you're a believer, that you should be able to move in power from the time you believe. Okay, well, I love this one. John chapter nine. Why don't you turn there? We're gonna read a good part of the chapter. As Jesus passed by, he saw a, blind, a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he be born blind? Jesus answered and said, it was neither this man's sin nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Can I get an amen? amen. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it's day, for night is coming when no man can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. When he said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to the eyes. This is the weirdest miracle. I love this. Can you imagine someone coming to church and you're like, <laughs> I'd be like, as long as I get healed, you can spit whatever you want. And he made, uh, made clay and put it on his eyes. And then he said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. I mean, this guy's still blind. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, is not this one who used to sit and beg? And others were saying, this is he. And others were saying, no, I don't think it's him. And they kept saying, no, I think it's the one. And they were saying to him, how then were your eyes open? And he, said, he answered, the man who is called Jesus made clay, anointed my eyes and, sent me to go to, and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. 
And they brought, they, brought to the, uh, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was the Sabbath, on the day when Jesus had made the clay and opened his eyes. And then the Pharisees also asking him again, how is it that you received your sight? He said to him, he applied clay to my eyes and I washed and I see. And therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, well, how can a man who's a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he's a prophet. And the Jews then did not believe it of him that he had been blind and received their sight until they called his parents, the very ones who had received, the very one who received his sight, and asked them saying, is this your son who you say was blind, born blind? And how then does he see? And his parents answered and said to them, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes? We have no idea. Ask him, for he is of age, and he can speak for himself. And his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be Christ, they'd put him out of the synagogue. For this reason, his parents said, he's of age, so ask him. So a second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God, for we know this man's a sinner. Then he said, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I know is that I was blind, and now I see. And they said to him, what then did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become one of his disciples too? <laughs> this is a great story. And they reviled him and said, are you, you, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we do not know where he's from. And the man answered and said to him, well, this is very amazing that you do not know where he's from, yet he opened my eyes. And we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it's never been heard of that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. Is this, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, were you, born, you were born entirely in your sins and you are teaching us? Then they put him out. It kind of goes on like that. Uh, you know, a man with an argument has no power over a man with an experience. But I, I just want to make sure that, we, we, are, that we, are, we are struggling arguing our case because we're not demonstrating the power of a superior kingdom. What, what I'm getting at is that we're not, we're not here to have a better argument. We're here to move in power. The Pharisees knew much more about the scriptures than this blind man who had, could finally see. And they're like, this man cannot be, this man has to be a sinner. And he's like, well, if he's a sinner, then why do he heal my eyes? How did he do that? And he starts to preach to the people who know the Bible. And they're like, you're preaching to us? You're out of here. But here's the deal. He could see. <laughs> This is just a good word. Jesus said, if I don't do the works of God, don't believe me. John 10, 37. If I don't do the works of God, don't believe me. And I think that it's really important. Like we're bringing Randy Clark in right now. I think Randy comes every year. And I just feel like this is such an epoch season when we need to be moving in signs and wonders and miracles, not just with a better philosophy. 
Uh, like we need to, we need to stop throwing the rocks of offense at people. Stop debating. We got this COVID thing and that political thing and this thing. It's like that's listen. God, that'll all settle when people, when blind people see, lame people walk, de- <laughs> demonized people go free. Are you with me? Like people, you'll have a voice. You can speak into culture when you actually can do something no one else can do. That's a good word. A while back, I went to a Latin American country. And I don't want you to know where it is, so I'm changing a little bit of the details. But I went to a Latin American country to see the mayor of one of the cities that one of our students who spoke Spanish uh, knew or was acquainted with a friend of a friend. And so it was a big deal getting in. We had to go through security and, you know, uh, the, the, whole de- the whole deal. So we finally get into the office and we're waiting in the waiting room of this, you know, of, of the governor's office is this ornate, beautiful building. And the secretary of the mayor comes out. Obviously, this is all in Spanish. My translator's translating everything. Comes out and she says, the mayor is sick. And he doesn't know if he's contagious. If he isn't contagious, he's going to come today and you can meet with him, but it'll be another half hour to an hour. But if he's not contagious, he's at the doctor's office and he finds out he's not contagious, then he, you can come see him. But if he's contagious, you can't see him till Monday if, that, if that'll work for you. We're like, yeah, that'll work. She said, well, can you wait like a half an hour to an hour so we can find out? Sure. So we're sitting in the waiting room in this beautiful uh, office with the security, you know, two security guards watching us. And as she leaves, I said to my translator, I have a word for her. Tell her to come back. So he tells the lady to come back and she, she comes back in and, you know, he says to her, and, and obviously all this is happening in Spanish and these are all Catholics, that, you know, um, hey, Chris has a, a word for you and she doesn't know what a word is. So he explains to her about what a prophetic word is. And she says, can, can he give you this word? And she's like, oh yeah, sure, yes. She's maybe a lady, maybe 50-ish, 40, 49, 50, 51, early 50s. And uh, I, I said to her, um, tell, tell her that she has uh, stomach problems and she thinks she has stomach cancer and she took tests yesterday and, she, and, and they're gonna come, the test won't come back till Monday, but they're going to come back negative because God's healed her and she doesn't have cancer. And so he says, tells her that and she uh, goes out screaming and crying, just like, and just runs out of the room screaming. I said, what did she say? He said, I have no idea. And she comes back maybe five minutes later and her makeup has run down her face black. She comes in and she's saying, telling him that she went to the doctor yesterday. The doctor's her sister. She took tests, cancer tests for her stomach because she thinks she had stomach cancer. And she, the test will come back Monday. And she was just overwhelmed by how good God was. And she said, you know, so... So, you know, he said, what else do you have? So I gave her something else. She ran out crying. And then she comes back with her, uh, her assistant, who's like 20 years old. And she's saying to the translator, like, does, does he have anything for my assistant? And I said, yeah, you guys had an argument yesterday. And here's what the argument was about. And I told, them what, I told her what they were arguing about. And I said, you're like a mom to her. And, and I said, but God wants to reconcile your relationship. Well, they both ran out crying. Just ran out, just, just got up and ran out. 
I said, what happened? He says, I have no idea. They just ran out crying. So they ran out crying. They come back and she's like saying, yes, that's exactly what we argued about yesterday. Da, da, da. Well, this, the, the security guard's standing there and he's, you know, pretty soon he's like, I see him kind of whispering to my translator, like, does he have anything for me? <laughs> so I'm like, yeah. So I tell the security guard this thing about him. He's, he falls on the floor. He's weeping on the floor. You know, he's got a gun. He's on the floor. So there's, and so, and the, and the girls came back and they're weeping. And, and so pretty soon people are coming. There's an admin, there's a big door here, like a triple door. It's that's open. And there's like, I don't know, there's like 50 people in the admin. You could see them all working at desks. Well, they start to come out because they're, these guys are really loud and they're coming out and like, Hey, like what's happening? What's going on? And I'm like, Oh, I have something for you. And well, boom, they're falling down on the ground, laughing and under the power of God crying and this like, now there's like, I don't know, there's, there's several of them on the ground crying. And so this old man comes out of the back and he's like, hey, come on, what's happening? He's like 80. And I said, hey, I don't know who you are, but you're the patriarch of this country. And you died three times on an operating table last week and God spared your life because you're the patriarch of this country. Well, he starts crying and he says, I am the father of the mayor. And last week I had a heart attack and I died three times on the operating table. Well, now you can imagine, you know, they're all coming out of the background and we're, whoo, we're Holy Spirit's moving. Well, the secretary finally comes and says, hey, the, you know, the mayor can't come till Monday, if that's okay. And, uh, and, uh, but he wants the, um, the person who oversees all entertainment to uh, take you on a tour of the treasures of our country. I'm like, well, you know, if it's not like, cars, I don't really care, you know. Is <laughs> it so like Corvettes and Ferraris? I don't care about the treasures of your country, really. And so I said, so I said to the, the trans, my translator, I said, I don't really care to see it. He goes, no, this is a big honor. You must go. I'm like, okay, so we must go. So, okay. So this guy comes out and he's like, he looks like, you know that guy that uh, says, I don't drink beer very often, but when I do, I drink, it's, he looks just like that guy. And so we go, we go, we're, we're, we're supposed to look at the national treasures and we go into the Congre congressional hall where there's like, I don't know, 200 seats, whatever there is, you know, where they, the Congress sits. And he's, he's talking to us about da, 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 the paintings on the wall and all this stuff. And I said, to, I said, hey, tell him, I don't know who he is, but he, but, but this country doesn't, doesn't empower women, but he's got 12 women empowered in Congress. And he's writing a book called Empowering the Women of and His Country Name. So he tells him that in Spanish. The guy freaks out. He goes, I just finished that book. That is the name of the book. I've put 12 women in Congress. I've been here 40 years. And then he says, now I'm going to show you all the national treasures, things that only kings and presidents see. So we went and saw those. That was cool. And then Monday, the president came back. I mean the president, the mayor. And I won't tell you too much while we're streaming, but... So we, we told him some stuff that was going to happen that, you know, some great stuff and then some other stuff that was going to happen that would, was negative in his campaign. But we said, you're going to win anyway, but your best friend's going to be a traitor, but you're going to win anyway. Well, that was the end of our conversation. We were asked kindly to leave. Nicely. He was very nice, but it's like conversation over. And then about, I don't know, months later, six months later, the translator's in my office with his wife just by total, complete, 1,000% chance. We're just having a conversation with him and his wife, and his phone rings on FaceTime, and it's the mayor. 
And the mayor says, hey, you know, this, this, you know that guy who told me I didn't like his word because he told me my friend was going to betray me and, uh, and, and, and in my campaign. And he told me, you know, this guy that I went to elementary school with is going to betray me. Well, that guy was my campaign manager. He did betray me, but I became mayor anyway. I won anyway. And I'm wondering if he could be a spiritual advisor to me. And he goes, well, I don't know. He's right here. Why don't you talk to him? Okay, stand. Oh, I should have said that. <laughs> Sorry, that was very ungracious. If you're watching uh, by uh, uh, stream, just stand. If you're in a car, uh, open the sunroof. I, 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 I've done this a few times, but uh, with more sense of uh, urgency and direction, I feel like I'm supposed to airdrop a bunch of stuff to you. You know, when you hear a story like that, you're like, oh, he's so amazing. No, no, no. Listen, everyone can do this. Everyone can do this stuff. Same Holy Spirit in me that's in you, right? And, and our jobs, Bill, are all of us, all of us in this front row and, and many others, like our jobs to equip the saints to do the work service. This is your job. Can you imagine if we sent out, if we sent out all the saints with their superpowers? We, we wouldn't be talking about COVID and political issues. And I'm saying, I think we're supposed to shift history. I think we're supposed to rise in darkness right now and shift history. I think we're supposed to reconnect power and authority, character and discipleship. And I, and I think that we're supposed to, you know, go out as Jesus did with guys that didn't actually even, they weren't even born again yet. I mean, I mean they're, they're a year old following Jesus. He's like, kill the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, and I'll meet you in another city. Oh God, you didn't get that quite right. Your attitudes are terrible, okay? Like, hey, get along. Here's a child, act like him. Now go do some more power stuff. <laughs> like, it, didn't, it didn't disqualify them from the power stuff. Listen, you're, you're here today, you're, you're watching, and you're like, I don't have my life together. Like, I don't even know. Listen, you think my life's all together? This is because you don't know me very well. <laughs> There's nobody in this church who has a perfect life. Okay? I mean, God made a nation out of a man who had two wives and two concubines and 13 children, and nine of them were born from people he weren't married to. And God goes, all right, I'll make a nation out of that. It, it's not okay for that dysfunction to happen. I'm pointing out that God's bigger than your problems. He's bigger than your dysfunction. He's bigger than my dysfunction. He's bigger than my, I, here's 14 reasons why I can't do that. Yes, you can. You are born again. You're moving in the power of the Spirit. You were born for this hour. And listen, something germinates in darkness. I don't know what it is, but it's like, you know, mushrooms that grow in, I don't know, that's a really bad illustration. I'm pointing out that you have all these illustrations, arise and shine, your light has come, glory to the Lord. In deep darkness was covered. It's always about darkness when people rise. I don't know, maybe it's why we were created. Were we created to be lights? Does anyone get mad when you use a flashlight? Does a flashlight go, don't use me. Oh my gosh, it's so dark out there. It's like, no, you were created to be light and we only turn on, we're only showing when it gets dark. And like, I think we were created for this hour to shift. Listen, we're in the middle of a pandemic. What better time to practice healing? Well, what if they don't get healed? But what do they do? So, okay, ready now? Okay, we're going to give you an airdrop. Okay, you're going to accept it. 
You're like, I already have this gift. Well, get another one then. (laughs) I wish Bill was doing this and not you. Well, you don't get Bill today, you get me. I'm so sorry. So, (laughs) no, I mean, sometimes we're like, we'll only take it from our favorite people. Just take it from everybody, anyone who God wants to use as a vessel. Well, I didn't like to preach. Well, maybe you'll like to download. It'll be better than to preach. So Lord, we release right now the power of the Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would baptize people in their cars, in their trucks, in their houses, in their offices, in this place, in this room. Lord, I pray that you would baptize people in the Spirit. I pray that people who have never experienced the power of the Spirit would suddenly have an encounter with you, God. I pray they'd even have to pull over in their car because they'd be watching this like a month from now and the Holy Spirit would fill their car and they'd go, oh my God, something happened to me. And, and Lord, I pray they wouldn't get a ticket, but Lord, I pray that they would move in power, that you would move on them, that you would do wonders and signs and miracles, that you would heal the sick, that you would raise dead people, that you would cast out demons, that you would shift the course of history and this pandemic that would go down in history that a group of people started to believe and over a period of a year, they shut down this pandemic. Lord, I pray that we would just begin to move in opportunity all around us in Jesus' name. And I want you to say, I receive it. I receive it. Amen. God bless. Tom. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you want to find out more, read my blog or listen to the previous podcast episodes. Go to chrisvelleton.com. Have an awesome day.